Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, this week on the, the podcast, we, we're finally back to our regular format. Uh, we have a fabulous DVD shelf coming at the end of the, sh- the show, Gentle Listeners, with Dennis Perkins of the AV Club talking about Psych, uh, which was a real treat to talk about this week, Noel, because I don't know about you, but this week has sucked and uh, earmuffs everyone, but f- cancer. It's been a it's been a tough week, so it was really good to watch some psych. As far as I'm yeah, concerned, how how it how's it going for you? I would I would normally say how are you, Noel, but it feels like a little weird to ask that because probably not great. Yeah, no, it, it's been kind of a rough week. Um, I joked on Twitter. Um, I never was really like super into Bowie. Um, that much he wasn't like a big part of music. Was never really a huge huge part of me until like really really recently. Um, so Bowie's death didn't really hit me hard as opposed to just like this broad pop culture icon passing but then it was just like oh alan rickman and i just went oh the universe just went oh so noel didn't really care about bowie let's take someone else and then they took alan rickman away and i spent like the first 90 minutes of my work day trying not to cry at my desk after watching a clip from uh, truly madly deeply which is my favorite rickman performance um how are you doing with all of this well bowie is it was just sort of otherworldly sort of um for me because i I went to bed after the globes golden globes um and like kind of a couple things like the 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 tweet from the official like twitter or, or face no i think it was the official facebook post had gone up and it was like a verified account or something and i was like okay but I don't like this seems really strange it's coming out of the blue but it's verified and then I saw some other places people were saying that that kind of been hacked and was a hoax so I was like sure oh thank goodness thank goodness I right. can I can rest well I can sleep well and then I woke up and found out that it no it was in fact true and it just was crushing to me because I have not really explored the Bowie back catalog that just wasn't a part of my musical vernacular sure. growing up as I'm sure will be shocking to, to those <laughs> listening the classical violinist doesn't have didn't have a big rooting in in British uh, glam rock or wh- however one would categorize Bowie. I do know the music of his that I'm familiar with. I think is amazing, um, uh, so I'm sure that I will love it when I dive into it. And that almost happened this week, but I did not unfortunately have enough time to really yeah. sink my teeth in. But um, but as a just what he stood for, yeah it was really moving to me to see all the different tributes and it's just such a, it's like, you don't, he's just sort of like this otherworldly being Bowie is. You <laughs> don't really think of. That was part of his of... persona and the performance of Bowie was being yeah, otherworldly. You don't think of Bowie as being something that can end. Sure. You know? So it yeah. was just sort of it's saddening for me. Yeah. But, but I, I, there's been a lot of really great tributes, uh, that have gone. I, and of course just little things, like it just seems like he had a really great sense of humor and sense yeah. of himself. I mean, I was watching Zoolander a couple weeks ago with my brother-in-law <laughs> who had never seen it before. And I was just like, of course, I was like, like that's like the PS de Verzi stance of that entire film. The fact that who do they get for the walk off is they get David 
King Bowie because Bowie, yeah. the best thing you could pot like the perfect casting you could ever and the fact that he wanted to do this something like that yeah. too you know um let alone his you know like if you're gonna cast Tesla you get David Bowie and it's just the most amazing <laughs> thing ever and the prestige uh so so while I was only tangentially aware uh, of his work and really only his most mainstream stuff uh, yeah. I haven't seen Labyrinth I haven't seen The Man Who Fell to Earth oh you need to see The Man Who Fell from Earth yeah yeah I it's don't it's really good yeah Labyrinth, nah, but <laughs> it was but, sacrilege, I know, but yeah. But just some of the lyrics that um, have been going around have really, really touched me, and that's not having all the other background and the, the, sure. the really diving into everything else that you can with Bowie. So I look forward to, to doing that. So it was, I was really, really feeling it um, for, for such a... A figure that I was tangential to, really, in my yeah. pop cultural understanding. And then the Helen Rigby, and it's just like, because after the Golden Globes, the internet kept trying to make us talk about the Golden Globes, and everybody was like, I'm sorry, we really don't care. We're all talking about Bowie. Right. Uh, which was wonderful. And then this Wednesday, it was just like... It was, is Rickman. My yeah, Twitter feed was, just... was talking about Oscars, and I just got yeah. annoyed. I had to leave yeah. Twitter. I was like, I don't care about the Oscars, people. I'm going to go watch Die Hard. So I did. Yeah. That's what I did that morning. Yeah. I was, yeah, no, I sent out a clip of uh, Truly Madly Deeply and just tried not to cry at work. And I had watched Die Hard over Christmas, as one does, because it's the best Christmas movie ever made. And um, so, no, it was like, it was, I hadn't watched it in, actually, in still in a year, but I was still, like, finding new things to, like, enjoy about Rickman's delivery, about things of, like, I read about them in Forbes. This is just a really good line, or talking about how I could discuss men's fashion all day. And it's just, it's really, really good. And he just found ways to deliver lines that just, with a little twist. And part of it's just his voice. But also, it's just, he, he understood what he was doing when he was in that moment he found the moment and that's really all you need from a really good actor is for them to find the moment and he always 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 found the moment even if it's something like robin hood where he's just kind of going big but kind of he's going kind of huge and he like saves that movie he does that's the thing because is that of he, how huge he, he keeps that movie afloat yeah. And so, but yeah, no, but then like quieter stuff and just, I mean, I've, and I mean, we can't not talk about Snape mm -hmm. and just how really great he was and how collaborative J.K. Rowling was with him, feeding him bits of information about where Snape was going to go in the books so he knew how to play it in the movie more appropriately. It's just great, I think. And I've just, it, it was a real it was a real loss for me as just like this actor who's done a lot of roles that I've always really responded to and I was just like, Oh, yeah. Thanks for that universe and cancer. <laughs> yeah, Snape never comes to mind for me for Alan Rickman. Ever. Yeah. Like if I were to list ten roles, I wouldn't think of Snape. But so yeah. that was sort of surprising to me. I shouldn't have been, given the generation that grew up with those films and those books. Right. Um and I adore the Harry Potter books and I really yeah. like Many of, of them. <laughs> Many of them, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I go immediately to Die Hard. I go immediately right. to um, Sense of Sensibility and yes. to, to Galaxy Quest, which is yes. so good. Which was on TV, like, um, two weeks ago, and I ended up watching, like, 30 minutes of it. I'm just like, oh, this movie is much better than it has any right to be. Oh, it's so good, yeah. And it's 
it's in no small part because, again, he's finding this moment within that character that just makes total sense because you're just like, oh. And it also fits him as well because he was typecast for a while as the villain, the smooth-talking villain. And he just had... I think that helped with Galaxy Quest of him being typecast as the alien in that character. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and just an awareness of himself and the film that he's in and just there's always he's just always watching and always yeah. reacting and um there's a I it also just always feels like there's a respect in his performance yeah. performances for the audience for his fellow actors and um by all accounts he was a wonderful collaborator and a really kind person so mm-hmm. RIP David Bowie Alan Rickman and the several other notable figures who also passed it's been a tough week these, yeah. We're just saying these two, but there have been many others that have been coming. Uh, like the the man who voiced uh, the actor who voiced Robin Hood, for example, yeah, also passed away. Bamford. Yeah. yeah, Grizzly Adams also passed away. Yeah. The, Celine Dion's husband passed away today. There, like there, it's yeah. been a very insane week for that. So, um, we raise a glass to you, and very, I'm very grateful that I now get to go explore and discover Bowie's work. Um. Just the fact that he put out, he w- saved his album to the weekend before he knew he was going to die. Who does that? That's so amazing. That is fans. really amazing. It's really yeah. amazing. Anyways, I'm going to start crying. So instead of that, we are <laughs> going to listen to some Adventure Time music and start our weekend TV. So again, at the end of the show, we're talking with the fabulous Dennis Perkins uh, of the V Club about Psych. So much fun. Um, but for now, let's listen to some Adventure Time and get some good jubies going because... There's a lot of great TV to talk about, too. What do you say? I am all about letting go of the bad jubies and talking about good TV. Yeah. We'll be right back after this. That was what I'm going to call Jake's Good Jubies song from Adventure Time this week. I do not know what it's actually called, but I feel like that works. I think that's okay. Yeah, there was no Steven Universe this week, but we did get an Adventure Time bomb. Uh, there was one episode of Adventure Time every night this week. We'll be talking about them here in our week in comedy and reality. But before we get there, we're going to talk about, well, I'm going to talk, I should say, about the premiere of Younger, Tattoo You, and The Malfunction. Uh, then a little bit about Man Seeking Woman, Feather, and the Golden Globes before we both talk about Top Chef, Bananas, uh, Bananas, Bananas, Bananas. Yes. yes. And then Adventure Time, Angel Face, President Porpoise is Missing, Blank Eyed Girl, Bad Jubies, and A King's Ransom. Um, so first up, I wanted to mention Younger, which started season two uh, this week and was delightful. I thought they did a really good job of reintroducing people to the characters and the world, picking up where they left off with Liza. Um, they had some tension, of course, with Josh because he's still reacting to finding out that she's 40 and not 26. But um, And they also have her daughter Caitlin show back up and the way that they are handling 
the various dynamics in the show in these first two episodes, I think, works very well. I still, uh, of course, uh, my little shipper heart goes Peter Pat for Sutton Foster and Peter Herman, um, which I'm sure is where they're headed long term. But for for now, I think that they're handling it well, and they're they're making these characters still feel dimensional and giving them reasons to giving Liza reasons to maintain her fiction at work that I think make sense and and at least for now i'm buying and uh they're also just it's it's just a charming show mm-hmm. i mean it's it's a sutton foster vehicle and they do manage to capture the charm of that just about as well as bunheads and you know how much i love bunheads i love bunheads no. too everyone should love bunheads you're a right thinking individual uh do you think you'll watch any younger this season um what day does it come on wednesdays no. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I just have too much on on Wednesdays with a review that I have to write and then catch up on things, other things from Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. So probably not um, unless I cut some stuff. Um, so, But do you felt like the fallout from him f- finding out is like, does it work for Did it work for yeah. you really well? Yeah. Or? Yeah, it really did because it's, he still likes her. Uh-huh. And they're still together, but there's just there's tension underlining it and and, you know he as much as he says he's fine it's still a huge there's some whiplash so so, you know she's really she's noticing he's mentioning things about her age a lot more because he's still just getting used to the idea and she's noticing every time he does something because she's very sensitive to it and she's worried i mean and she understands she doesn't blame him for any weirdness um but you know they're just trying to navigate a situation that most of us don't really ever have to deal with. Right. That was going to be my next question was like kind of a like tangentially related to the show is how would you handle that kind of a thing? Would that bother you type of thing? I'm not quite sure it would bother me that much, but I'm not sure. Like you have a daughter in college you never mentioned is kind of. That's different than lying about your age, I think. But yeah, but like you know things because like, it's just not really. But you, you understand where she's coming from and everything. Yeah. But I think I think it makes sense for Josh the way that yeah. Josh is handling it, and it makes sense for Liza the way that she's handling it. So that's what I think is most important. And yeah. It's just normal Earth people are not like Sutton Foster. Normal well, this Earth is people true. can't pass for twenty six <laughs> when they're forty. So I can barely pass for thirty one at thirty one. So yeah, yeah, there you go, there you go. But no, the season is off to a strong start. And again, having two back to back, I was really glad to have a double dose. And mm-hmm. um, I hope I don't actually know, but I hope they're keeping it up all season. If not, just having one's gonna, you know, I got I hashtag screener privilege. I got to watch all of the first season back to back in a row and uh, it was nice to get a little flavor of that this this week with two episodes but no i think it's just kind of nice to have this kind of a charming show around speaking of charming shows playing house got renewed i saw very exciting against all the odds yeah i'm very excited so there's like there's no playing house right now but there is this and they're they have different tones yes playing house is much more sarcastic (laughs) which is why i love it (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah but but they're still in the same like category they're like sure. maybe slightly different subgenres, but they're in the same overall category and yeah. um so yeah if you like something like playing house i feel like you should check out younger but let's move on to the next show because i could just keep talking about it all day and then that wouldn't give you a chance to talk so i need to get through these ones you haven't seen Noel. i found ways to talk 
<laughs> you did, and I tip of my imaginary hat to you, sir. Next up is Man Seeking Woman Feather. I wrote about this over at the AV Club. You can check out my review there. This one um, was was really fun, but it didn't for me have as much depth as their f- premiere did because the premiere kind of got into more underlying issues of friendship and uh, and the all of the the like ridiculous things that happened in the style of the show. Um, had layers you could really dive into and analyze and like you know I love that stuff yeah come on yeah but this one had just like it had a talking condom which was funny super funny but like there's not more layers (laughs) it's just a talking condom and they go to the sex toy shop and get the Kyle who it turns out is an Australian former applied mathematics major uh, who's just a really jack guy who's going to bone your girlfriend. Uh, so it's just, like hilarious the way that that was executed and handled and treated. Um, and, and then the then spoiler alert, I guess, for those listening, because uh, I wanted to tell you about this one particularly. The best bit of the episode is where at the end of the episode, this is the one that I got had fun diving into the subtext with, is uh, the, the girlfriend realizes and comes out of the closet as not Joshua sexual. Which mm-hmm. she's, means she's just not sexually attracted to Josh. Sure. And over time, the, you know, there have been thousands of people over the millennia who haven't been attracted to Josh. It's not about Josh. It's about her and her sexuality. Um, so there's a not, jo- not Josh or sexual pride parade that they go to. <laughs> and like, you know, like they try to make it work, but they find um, she, you know, she just can't. He finds her not Josh porn, uh-huh. uh, which is just people making out saying, you're not Josh. You're not Josh. It's hilarious, basically, is what I'm saying. But what is really great about it was the, the way that, for me, it, it continues the show's deconstruction of the nice guy phenomenon or, like, the friend-zoning idea that, like, if uh, a girl isn't into a guy, it's because he's too nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that they just go, no, it's not anything wrong with him. She just isn't. She likes him. They get along great. They have a lot of fun hanging out together. She just isn't sexually attracted to him. And that's fine. He yeah. didn't do anything wrong. She's not a bitch. This is just as simple as it goes. So just like you wouldn't say a gay person should like this person of the opposite gender because you can process that that is not necessarily, that's not how sexuality works. Right. There's not necessarily a whole string of baggage that needs to go with, I don't want to have sex with you, person. Um, and I, I love that idea. And I've never seen anybody put it in such a straightforward way. Mm-hmm. So that was really fun for me to... You know how I love these things, overanalyze. But uh, I don't think yeah, you're, that... based on how you're describing it, it doesn't sound like you're overanalyzing anything. That's what I think. Yeah. That's why I do it. <laughs> do, 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 you know, do what we do here. But yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of, so, so that one I could really sink my teeth into. The other two were just really fun and funny, but didn't have the same depth. So I liked the episode, but it, it didn't quite have the punch that the premiere had had. Okay. Uh, so I hope that they'll get back to using the supporting cast more. This was a very Josh-centric episode, so I'm hoping they're going to use the supporting cast a bit more in the com- upcoming episodes, shift up the perspective a bit more. Uh, but even if they're just going to settle for being funny and not necessarily weighty, I can, you know, there are worse, <laughs> there are a lot more shows out there. So Absolutely. That is Man Seeking Woman. And all I have to say about the Golden Globes before we get into the shows we've both seen, both seen is that um, – they just really highlighted for me how much more fun the Emmys were last year and how great a job the Andy Samberg did hosting. Also, as if we didn't already know, how wonderful a job Tina Fey and Amy Poehler did right. hosting the Globes last year. But, I mean, Ricky Gervais was not funny. It's like, we get it. You don't un- you're playing, or at least you're portraying a persona of a person who doesn't understand what transgender means. 
it's that's not a joke right it's not <laughs> particularly to funny either have yeah. there be a joke um yeah. so there were a lot of things like that every now and again there'd be um like when they had mel gibson come up i, I enjoyed when it just seemed he just seemed very confused as to why hollywood is cool with mel gibson again well uh, it's the <laughs> hollywood foreign press that's yeah cool with mel gibson apparently for some odd reason i mean it's a group of like 90 people yeah, that's true. So, yeah. but on the other hand, I mean, they gave awards. They gave an award to Rachel Bloom. Very exciting. Which is great. And also, let's just point out the fact that that's two years in a row that the CW has won Best Actress in a Comedy. Mm-hmm. Which is just delightful to think about. Remember that the WB won uh, awards too, because of course, uh, Carrie Russell won for Felicity. Right. I mean, on ABC, Jennifer Garner won for Alias. So the Hollywood Foreign Press loves their young uh, Piper Perabu got nominated for that spy show that she did on USA. Yes. Title like Covert Affairs, I want to say. Covert Affairs, yes. And everyone went, okay. (laughs) Yeah, Maslany as well. Yes. Yeah. First place, she got any any appreciation. Um, But the wonderful thing about it is that while, yes, it does, it's a little. Really, only you only give these awards to the young ingenue, but the, the people that they're nominating are really, really deserving, talented yes. young actors. So yeah. that's like I'm not. You're not going to ever see me complain about Gina Rodriguez and Rachel Bloom getting right. awards because they're so deserving, and they're not going to get any love anywhere else. Yeah, so, especially when uh, Gina Rodriguez is getting shut out at the Emmys, and you're just like, no, that's not how this works. Did you watch? the television yeah. Emmys? did you like no they didn't because that's why that's why maslani got nominated for season three as opposed to season one they yeah. finally watched season one and went oh right we should have done that's it that's what all the tweets that's were what about. it was yeah also what yeah. is this twitter thing again <laughs> how does bbc america work yeah yeah but no, there are plenty i mean like they continue to nominate ray donovan i don't understand <laughs> why i mean they Lady really Gaga do love won. showtime i don't get it yeah. yeah, yeah, but you know, I liked it better last year when Tina and Amy were there. Yeah. I'm sure Ricky Gervais will not get back, asked back again after this performance. Fingers um, crossed. So, yeah, it would be a, a a very strong improvement on the show if they could do something else. So uh, that's that's all I have for the Golden Globes. Let's talk some bananas. Uh, yes. So Top Chef, uh, what did you think of the quick fire and uh, also of? the the elimination now have you been to san diego no i've never been to san diego have you i have well for comic-con oh right so right, right. So, so i was recognizing certain you know things that they were shooting and i i have yet to i i've yet to have a particularly tasty fish taco because i've only had one in san diego it was very fried but i have had some insanely delicious like small cart chicken and pork tacos san diego knows their tacos man so i was on board have you had like delicious squid meatballs before in san diego no those looked like really gross they looked so gross and then they were gross gross. yeah um yeah um no like we we talked a little bit last season uh last season uh, last week about uh me not particularly liking angelina that much um so like i was I was happy to see her go, but at the same time, such a bullshit reason to be at the bottom and up for elimination in a quick fire is not putting it on the plate. Like, that's, even for people I don't like, that's not how I want to see people leave the show, is because you didn't put it on a plate, but you prepared everything, but no, you didn't put it on the plate, so we're gonna just, you're automatically at the bottom, and it's just like, ugh. 
gross, guys. And so I, that's not how I want to see someone leave, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then the actual elimination, um, I'm kind of surprised that, um, who was that? Who else was at the Wesley. Bottom? Yeah, was Wesley went home. Left. Which I was just like, eh, about, I was just like, you guys got served squid balls. That <laughs> well, seemed like the tentacles were the worst part. Right. So, I don't know, like, I was just kind of, eh, about the entire thing, um, how did you feel about, like, the challenge with, like, the craft beers? Because as soon as they said craft beers, I just went, oh, this is going to be not something I can really respond to. Because I can't drink beer at all. If I was cooking at that, well, I can't, I can drink beer. I just don't like to. Um, so if I have to imagine. And also just, like, if you're someone who's a recovering alcoholic, how, how are you cooking on this challenge? Just, like, out of, would they change that, I guess? I don't know. How did you feel about everything? Well, I mean, I think it made sense, especially for San Diego, because like they said... Yeah, ton of microbrews. 106 in that city alone, which yeah. is insane. There's like... Oh, they know their beer in San Diego. It's delicious. Um, <laughs> so I actually... I thought it fit well. It, it allowed them to not just keep going back to slightly different choice of seafood, the mm-hmm. way that I feel like it would be easy for them to do as they go along the coast. Yeah. Um, and it really... So it was a good way to make it feel like San Diego. When they're saying they were like throwing things in the beer like i decided to put some chocolate in this beer i'm like for the mystery i'm like you say that but i don't think you were literally melting chocolate and pouring it in like what a, i think they could have you know explained how they explained crafted those microbrews yeah, yeah a it's bit just more like, than like tom what made you put a banana in a microbrew <laughs> yeah yeah so like that would have been neat but but as a whole, I think it was a good challenge, and I, I, there were some interesting comments that they left in um, about pairing and yeah. when do you which was you really good close yeah and when are you too yeah and, and so I wasn't sure exactly what their challenge like were they supposed to was the person who got the comment was that it was too similar to the beer so they didn't they didn't help each other out was it a good thing or a bad thing I think it, it means was a that they bad thing yeah yeah but then they like the, that was the challenge was to make it be like the beer but if, they, if it was supposed to be a pairing as well like so i was a little unclear about some of that stuff but in, in yeah. general I, you know those beers seems like they're probably pretty tasty and um i can see that being a cha- like i know i note that the wasn't there someone on earlier this season who couldn't taste the wine yes there was yeah and i think they're... they saved this challenge for yeah for yeah. when they were no longer on yeah but uh i may and maybe they would have changed if the person was still on yeah at this point it's a possibility yeah but, um, but yeah, so it's just, um, I, I, I thought it was creative and I'm a fan of any of those challenges to give a little respect to the ridiculousness that goes into microbrewing, mm-hmm. um, and, like craft beers and everything. There's, it's nice to see that getting some respect in the past decade or so. So that's where I'm at with it. I was going to ask if there was anyone you were rooting for yet, if you'd like picked a favorite yet. No, I have not picked a favorite. Yeah, I haven't either. Though I was really glad that Amara didn't go home because as soon as he was just like, I'm going to cook a chicken breast. And I went, oh God, no, don't cook a chicken breast. They don't like that on the show. <laughs> they don't like that on the show because it's A, too simple, but B, also you have to get it so correct. Mm-hmm. And then he did. They were they really liked Amar's dish, which made me really really happy. But as soon as he said, "I'm cooking a chicken breast," I went, "Oh God, no! Don't cook a chicken <laughs> breast, Amar! No, don't do it unless the challenge is cooking chicken. 
never ever cooked chicken. <laughs> <laughs> that that dish looked really good though. I will, I will it did. Say. It actually, I feel like most of the dishes actually looked really really good. Yeah. yeah. Aside from the squid balls. For on Last Chance Kitchen, um, to keep you informed, uh, Angelina won, beat out Grayson okay. and Wesley in a burger challenge. Okay. And uh, uh, so so that'll be, we'll see if they start to build a narrative for her as yeah. underappreciated and, and trying to fight her way back, or if she just gets knocked out in a couple weeks as well. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at with, with, with Top Chef, and uh, we'll see. They're back to L.A. next week, so maybe... Uh, We'll get maybe Philip will be the one who gets in his own head about stuff and gets eliminated. We'll see. But let, let's we've delayed too long. Let's talk about Adventure Time because let's talk about Adventure Time. Th- these were some these were some quality episodes by far. They though were. the clear standout for me was Bad Jubies. Oh God, wasn't that a, just a beautiful episode? It was amazing. It was gorgeous to look at the yes. the animation and and like having Bimo be flat have a flat screen and everything, but everything else dimensional was fantastic. The the writing was really good. The song, you know, the way that the episode built and then revealed what um, what Jake had been working on was really great. Mm-hmm. The cloud and storm and everything was really great, um, and it just was hilarious. Please tell me that you enjoyed this one, like all the LSP in this, because the LSP was heavy in this episode. Yes, and I did enjoy it. Um, I actually think maybe it's just because she's like three dimensional. Mm-hmm. That I was just really kind of keying into LSP. But I also think it was also the fact that everyone else was kind of not really loving LSP in this episode. Which I think helped me appreciate LSP a little bit. Is that people were just like responding to her eating all the chips and all the beans. <laughs> and she's like, but I was hungry, guys. And that's my really terrible LSP impression. But um, so no, I, I, I liked the fact that people were responding to her in a way that I typically respond to her. And I think that made me like her in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. which was which was an interesting experience. But also, it, I mean, I love stop motion as like an animation. And so I was really, really excited about this episode. I mean, there was a really good interview with the uh, director whose name I'm trying to look up right now and I can't find. Um, that it took them a year from pre-production to, like, getting it all finished, which is about right. But then you think about the fact, um, Kirsten Lepore is the director, and was like, I think she mentioned that she was like, she's only been, like, one of three guest directors on the show since it started. Um, and another really great guest director for them. But it's just, you think about the fact that this episode took a year to make and it's 11 minutes mm-hmm. and my mind boggles at the sheer amount of labor that goes into that and as someone else who just really also just misses the beauty of hand-drawn animation and cell animation and just how gorgeous that looks and you just i miss that and so being able to see adventure time do stop motion animation was just a real treat for me um, how did you feel about Bad Jubies and some of the other episodes? Because I want to talk about some of the other episodes, too. Because it was, as you said, a really, really good week. Well, first of all, Bad Jubies, they aired, they screened, I want to say, part of it. And I, I may have been the whole episode, but it, I think it was just part um, at Comic-Con last year. So that's how long okay. they've been sitting. I mean, yeah, it's been on the list of, of when you go to the Adventure Time Wiki, as like upcoming episodes. The next one has always looked like it was Bad Jubies, and it just kept got it getting pushed down and down. Um, yeah. And I also just 
the specific detail is I love the way they captured their eyes. Like, you know yes. how their irises like get all huge and everything. And like, there's yeah. three of them. There's the white dot in the middle and everything. Uh, the way they captured that with the with the uh, stop motion was delightful. And yeah, it, I just I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And so the message of it also, you know, the power of beauty and 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 good jubies when you're yeah. being attacked by bad jubies. Um, you know, and, and even just the cloud. Not, not saying that he shouldn't be a storm all the time, but just sometimes it's okay to be a breeze. Um, yeah. I think that's, I think that's very nuanced and mm-hmm. mature. So I really appreciated that. Um, Blank eyed girl probably is where I would go next. And president yeah. porpoise just so out of there, just like, just by the way, there's also this whole electro, like it got all the princesses up on land, but then under the water, they have democracy. Uh, what did you think <laughs> of the rest of the week? Um, Blank Eyed Girl was just really, really creepy, and the ending was just so weird, and it creeped me out really well. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. And I, I like, I think my favorite thing was just how angry Jake was getting about Starchy's radio show. (laughs) And then, because it also kind of like primed me also for the X-Files coming back. In a, in just a really delightful way of like I think Jake would just really hate Mulder, <laughs> <laughs> and so no I really enjoyed Black Eyed Girl. I'm surprised that you like President Porpoise because I just I liked everything that was happening with Ice King and Bimo on the beach, but everything underwater I just went nah. I just I wasn't like I wasn't grooving on any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, though again I. Like you, I kind of liked the whole democracy, parliamentary type of issue, and just like all of that aspect of it, I thought was really great. Um, but yeah, I just it, of the episodes, I think it was my least favorite of the episodes that we got this week was President Porpoise's missing. Um, what did you think about Angel Face and uh, King's Ransom? See, Angel Face is probably my least favorite of them. Okay, and that's from someone who loves westerns and all of that. So I could get right. behind, and it's a BMO episode, so I could get behind that part of it. Uh, that's just like. The- the living sandwich was creepy. Oh beginning. god, but it was so creepy but so funny. The sentient sandwich. The sentience. Yeah, as Sen- yeah, as it's being eaten, the smile on the toast is still there. I mean, yes. it's just so messed up. It's awesome. Um and uh, I I I have to say, like my um live stream from Cartoon Network was messed up. So I missed the okay. beginning part of a King's Ransom. I caught okay. like the second half of it. Okay. And so I like the important half. Yeah. And I, I thought that was the, the reveal was really great. And, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, just when we, we, we get all these standalones, they, they, and just when we're like, Oh, that's the best mode the show has. They go, ha serialized. Boom. Right. It's Sneaking just like, it in. Oh, you like that Betty too. as a magic woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's like, ah, I kind of forgot that that's what happened to her. And now I'm remembering, and now I just want to know what she did to the crown. And I'm just like, mm. but I mean, also just like Simon steadily reverting back the further the crown away from him is, mm-hmm. or at least like physically reverting, yeah. maybe not mentally, emotionally reverting. How did you feel about that? I thought that was great. And again, yeah. like it's just, it's such a solid well for the show to draw from. They've done yeah. really well with it every time they've gone there. And so this, I thought, tied in with that nicely. I liked that they didn't go too much to the emotional, mental place, because that should take longer. Yes. Anyways. But um, they've very wisely not overplayed that. I think it would be easy yes. to do that. Um, so, uh, so 
that's rather impressive and it's nice that they also are still interested in exploring that and returning to that um which it would be easy to just kind of keep everybody in a loop keep the characters mostly in the same place but they're they're willing to take ice king on a different adventure and i appreciate that yeah i do too yeah any final thoughts on adventure time or if not what wins your week in comedy and reality uh, Bad Jubies wins my week oh, in yeah. comedy and reality. I, I I don't think that there's another choice of this week that I saw. It's not even close. Yeah. yeah. No, it was it was a really good week um, for that. And again, I mean, stop motion is one of the many ways to my heart, but that's a really direct way to my heart. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I really like the younger premiere, but still, yeah. it's definitely Bad Jubies. So now we'll take a break, and we'll listen to one of the songs featured in this week's The Good Wife, No One's More Happy Than You by Clem Snide, and we'll come back with our week in genre and drama. A beautiful hack and sack night Two teenagers kiss and hold tight Satellite swimming above is sending a message. Once again, that was No One's More Happy Than You by Clem Snide, featured in this week's episode of The Good Wife. Um, But before we get to The Good Wife in our week in genre and drama, we're going to kick things off, or I should say Noel's going to kick things off, with some talk about the mid-season premiere of Pretty Little Liars of late, I think, of Rosewood. Then we'll both talk a little bit about the Colony pilot before moving on to iZombie, Method Head, uh, and the Shannara Chronicles Fury, and then we'll round things out with The Good Wife, Iowa. But up first is Pretty Little Liars, which is back from its mid-season hiatus what did you think of the premiere pretty little liars in an effort to kind of like because it had accumulated so much baggage um over the course of this five and a half seasons four and a half seasons um about a and allison and all this stuff is that they did a five-year leap forward which they teased at the end of 5a um, where after they revealed um, that CC was A and everything. So they were just like leaping ahead five years. The girls have been through college, so they're in a post-college world now, so the actors are finally playing their age, which is great because it was just kind of ridiculous that these girls were still in high school. Um, but the other thing that this is is that it set up a new mystery, but it also set up like new secrets. And I think the really exciting thing is that even though that this episode was really low-key and starts off with a new mystery of who killed Cece, basically, because Cece as A gets out and then was murdered, uh, being pushed off the bell tower, which is a really significant um, place within Pretty Little Liars, especially in the early going. And so we have a new mystery that the liars have to solve and figure out, but they're also, what was really exciting is the liars are keeping secrets from each other because they've kind of all gone their separate ways. They've left Rosewood, 
And they're brought back because um, Allison wants them to basically testify in, on Cece's behalf to let her out of, like, prison and the mental mental asylum that she was staying in. It's a little, I wasn't paying super close attention. But they basically, like, a, a hearing of, do you feel safe if we let Cece out of prison type of thing? So they all, like... Everyone except Arya went, yeah, I feel great. And Arya just had this big breakdown that she's not going to feel safe. Like, the PTSD of the torture that they experienced in the little dollhouse that they got locked in for a few weeks, which is some of the best stuff that came out of Season 5A, like, resurfaced for Arya. But then there's just all these, like, secrets. Like, Emily's addicted to pain pills, apparently, but we're not really going to explore that. Spencer and Caleb may be hooking up because Caleb used to be dating Hannah, but they're not dating anymore. And it's kind of implied that Spencer and Hannah are Spencer, Spencer and Caleb are a couple, like loosely implied. It's not like totally out there, but it kind of feels like it. So there's just like all sorts of really fun stuff that can be explored again and fresh and new. And that these characters now have had these five years apart from one another. There's these new things for them to explore and find out about each other. And I'm really excited about that aspect, even more than I'm excited about them finding out who killed Cece, really, and why someone would kill Cece to basically start this up again. Um, But yeah, so I'm excited about the prospect of what the show is going to become. And I'm excited that the show didn't like totally change itself and reinvent itself too much in the past um doing this time leap um even though there's like sly acknowledgements of it like spencer gets back into rosewood and she sees these group of teenage girls all get a text message at the same time and she like you can see it on her face that she's freaking out that somehow it's history repeating itself and then they all laugh when they get the text message because it's just some group text that was direct to all five of them and they all kind of have a little laugh and she should look relieved, but she doesn't look totally relieved by that. Because it's all still, even after five years, it's still really fresh for her. As it should be. Which is, I think, one of the things that I really liked about 5A was the fact that it stayed really true to the emotional problems that this would have, that this whole ordeal would have created for them. And so I'm excited to see how they coped with that after five years of being apart from one another. And there's plenty of secrets for them to tell and explore. And yeah, so I'm really, really excited about it and excited to see how they're going to do that. And yeah, yeah, that's how I'm I'm excited, even if this premiere was kind of low-key and kind of table-setting, but it needed to be because there was a lot of ground to cover. Well, starting next week, listeners, I'm going to be jumping in with Pretty Little Liars and um, and we'll get more of a chance to talk about it back and forth over the this half season. Uh, so, Noel, you're going to have to, like, fill me in on <laughs> all the stuff that I miss because um, I'm sure I'll just be like, this is awesome. And you'll be like, actually, it's not because of this, that, and the other. And I may not even be able to do that. Um, my friend Nick, who reviews uh, reviews for tv.com but also does really great video reviews of it um during 5a is like he has this thing he has this show down like the way that i used to talk about lost when it was on and he also talked about lost the same way he talks about pretty little liars that way he just has all of this stuff at his fingertips and it's really really impressive so when i forget things i have to text him and be like wait have we seen this guy before? And he's just like, yes, Noel, we have seen this guy before. In fact, 
like he was in five episodes in season three, but we're in season five. How do you expect me to remember that? Which is how this show works. Is like it's very grounded in a lot of like soap opera tropes. Is that characters come back, or even more annoyingly, characters get recast. <laughs> and you're and but it's just like oh right, so that's still that's Jason, right? That's Jason. Oh, but he looks totally different because it's a totally different actor. And so, but it's really fun. Um, and it's also really silly in like. Uh, Ezra, who's Arya's primary, like, ship for most of this uh, show and primary, like, on the show, but also for a lot of the fans, like, he went off to, God, I forget where he went off to, but he went off to some, with his girlfriend to go, like, do Habitat for Humanity stuff, and she got kidnapped by gorillas, not gorillas, (laughs) but, like, gorillas. Of course she did. Yeah. And it's just like, show, no, no. You don't have a girlfriend get kidnapped off screen by gorillas. That's not how this works. And also, this is ridiculous. In a way that this has no business being on this show. Has business being on some other show that can treat this with the sensitivity that it deserves. Doesn't really, shouldn't be on Pretty Little Liars. But yeah, so no, I'm excited that you're, I, watch at least one episode. I don't want you to like, make a huge commitment but just enjoy the weirdness that is pretty little liars and also yeah no enjoy the weirdness that is pretty little liars i look forward to your thoughts because this is a good time to jump in on it because there's it's kind of restarting itself so i'll be curious to hear what you think well for now our next show of our weekend genre and drama is colony which had its pilot now you you were more excited about this one than i was just uh based on you know things we'd seen ahead of time noel so how did the how did the pilot go for you I just talked a lot. What did you think? <laughs> um, I don't actually have thoughts about it, which is why I think oh. <laughs> um, But, um, yeah, I just, I, I wanted to be more on board with this. And even just in the first few minutes, you know, because, you know, Josh Holloway's great and Sarah Wayne Kelly's, I think, is a lot of fun here. I think they work well together and they work well with the kids. But even just in the first few minutes, I was starting to check out. Like, I wanted to reach over and grab my phone or something and start, you know, multitasking, which I didn't. But, um it did not grab me at all with and with the cast you know at least with the leads and with you know there's a quality supporting cast here um with this talent and a solid premise they should have been able to do that uh but i mean i got a little bit more invested towards or more interested not invested towards the end of the pilot like the last few minutes but um but no i just mostly it, it didn't grab me and right now at least i don't expect that i will be back um, next week or just in general, um, unless it turns around significantly. But, but did, did you like it more than I did? Like, like I said, you were more excited about it than I was. So did it work for you better? Um, I, I liked it, I think, much more than you did. Um, I appreciated... It wasn't... It was subtle, not subtle, in the showing us, like, barbed wire or, like, fence or the really subtle stuff that they were doing with the photos. Um, and I really appreciated that. Um... And I appreciated the, like, really gradual, like, building of the world and how they were just very noncommittal about what happened. I thought it was really interesting. And, I, I mean, I know it's an alien thing and it's confirmed that it's an alien thing by the end of the episode. But I like the fact that it's, we're so deep into this occupation that it's just kind of a fact of life and i'm really fascinated by seeing it like this basically as opposed to something like falling skies and fighting against it during the thing and i never really got into falling skies too too much uh so i kind of enjoy this 
living under an occupation type of approach to the story. Um, and I also just, I mean, Peter Jacobson's just going for it as the Weasley proxy governor. And Peter Jacobson gives good Weasel anyway, but he's in full Weasel mode here. And I always enjoy Peter Jacobson in Weasel mode. Because um, even as I was like finishing up the episode, I just went, if they ever remade Aliens, he could play the Paul Reiser character and it would be great, even though Paul Reiser could still play Carter Burke in Aliens, and it would still be perfect. Um, it was just that kind of a Weasley, kind of a jerk, manipulative jerk, and that, for me, was, like, really helped me keyed in. Uh, how do you feel about the... He's been hired to hunt down the Resistance, and she's apparently kind of a big deal, maybe, in the Resistance. Do you feel like that dichotomy is... And, and also just that story engine is going to be worthwhile or do you feel like it's going to really quickly hit a rut or like become really cliched of them keeping secrets from one another? Or how do you feel about that? That was, uh, yeah, I mean, it just was such a, of course she is situation at the, when that, when that's revealed at the end of the episode. I mean, I, I was basically kind of groaning with that. Um, I do like that they give them real and, significant and completely relatable and rootable stakes in the the third kid the the other son who's you know who's out there i like that they give them a real legitimate reason to collaborate um that, and that also just is going to make things a lot more challenging for her because it's not just the you know he shouldn't be collaborating and she's fighting the good fight it's every time you know any success she has it theoretically now endangers their ability to get their son back. Um, so I, I like that they actually do really deliver on that part of it. Right. That's what I was really excited about was the fact that now she's, she's she, how much does she really want her son back? And obviously she wants him back, but how much and to what degree? And I, yeah, no, I think I'm actually really excited about it, even though I, again, had the same response of, well, of course, of course. But at the same time, I'm also happy that she's the one that's in the resistance. Yeah, that's definitely, yeah. definitely the right call there. Uh, much more interesting than if they had like swapped it or something. I think it's just, just, I would be much more interested if it was the two of them working together as a team to play these two sides off of each other um, than what we look like, it looks like we're getting at least. Uh, but certainly, I mean, it could be a lot worse. Um, I get why people might like it. For, but the thing I just keep coming back to is I should not be bored with this premise and this cast. So, I mean, maybe as they get their feet under them, they'll get, it'll improve. Um, and it'll be more a, a me show, but for right now, I just don't have the time for it. Um, are you going to keep up with colony? Do you think I should be able to, we'll figure out, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> well, our next show is, uh, I zombie, which did not take the week off. Unlike everything else. And this week live is in full, actor mode what'd you think of method head not only actorly but method actorly finding the finding the truth and it, within herself that she can then apply to the character's truth yeah no um it was an okay episode for me um i enjoy meta-ness as much as anyone and i think the show does did a lot of really fun little meta jokes um from her history as a power ranger um, to, um, taking dings at, why is this, why does this, why does this show, why is this show set in Portland, but it's filmed in Seattle? 
and just like acknowledging the show being shot in Vancouver but set in Seattle or just and or I think my favorite line being well you know what would be really cool a zombie show where the zombie's the main character no that's dumb <laughs> and so I enjoyed the meta-ness of it but it didn't go far enough I think it could have been like way more meta meta-er more meta on to like dig into like character aspects of it as opposed to just be joke aspects of it. So like um, Carrie over at the TV club made the really excellent point that if you're going to be meta on the CW, then you have a really high bar to clear because of supernatural, which executes its meta episodes to a T and also define stuff about the characters within that, within all the meta hijinks. And that's really important to do. So as a first effort, it's a nice meta effort from iZombie, but in, if it, they do it again, they need to really like find some big stuff. And the other thing that really weighed down the episode for me was that it just kind of glossed over the Clive and um, live tensions that were established at the winter break episode with, and then just really kind of quickly resolved. And I just went, no, I needed way more from that. Um, and to see that dynamic, that tension and that dynamic explored a lot more, um, to have it glossed over the way it was, I wasn't a fan of, and to have the major and live breakup to be as kind of glossed over as it was also wasn't a big fan. So it was kind of a middling episode for me because I kind of go in there for the character stuff but it wasn't balanced out enough by the fun case of the week how did you, did you watch this week's episode or yeah I did watch okay. this one uh, I was underwhelmed uh, definitely didn't like as much as you did I did really like the major part of the show like the Stephen Weber stuff was really great god he's so good yeah yeah he really is and like how they're continuing to develop that stuff that's the part of the show I'm most invested in. But I, I absolutely agree. The, the way that they glossed over everything with uh, Babino and with Liv was disappointing. And um, just when you're, if you're doing a meta episode, like, like the, the line about um, the, the zombie show where the zombies elite, like I, I, that, I was just, again, I was just groaning there. Oh, that was a groan. Okay. Yeah. It was just like, oh, yes, I see what you did. You're so clever. So, I mean, this episode just didn't really work for me. I liked Liv's fandom uh, of the show. I liked, you know, her geeking out about it. Because, again, that's that's her. That's not the brain. That's her. And so I, I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, but, I mean, when you, when you mentioned Supernatural, I mean, that's a show that just it knows how to do meta and it does it so well. Those are some of the best episodes of the entire show. How many shows can you think of that do meta episodes like that? And it has real emotional stakes and catharsis. And it's not just there to be funny, but it's there to enlighten the characters about themselves and their world and their, their larger placement in the scheme of the show's universe. If iZombie wants to do meta, I mean, it's got a long way to go if it's gonna be anywhere near as good at it as you know a show like supernatural or the show we're gonna talk about in the dvd shelf or psych another excellent example um yeah i i think that they are capable of it i think that they could find that but again i just think they have a lot of work to do yeah and i mean just like thinking about supernatural it's just like i mean i don't watch it regularly i tune in for like the meta episodes pretty much at this point um, mainly because I'm just way behind. Um, 
But it's also just like in the musical episode that they did last year where there's just like, wait, who's that guy? Oh, that's Adam. <laughs> and just their face at remembering, oh, right, our half-brother's still in a cage in hell. Right. And we're not doing anything about that. It's just like, oh, it's funny. But it's also kind of a gut punch at both of them about that they've forgotten their brother, basically. And they're all about remembering their brothers. <laughs> oh, the Supernatural musical. It has such a place in my heart. Um, well, what did you think of this week's episode of The Shinar Chronicles, Fury? Um, well, I mean, I tweeted at you um, about the episode where I found a lens to watch it through was us discussing Dungeons & Dragons. And I just went, oh, right, this is great. It's a level one cleric, a level one fighter, and a level 15 druid trying to keep one the other two characters alive. This is great. And so, yeah, no, I enjoyed this episode a bit more. And I mean, just like through that lens almost is just like, oh, I'm just going to treat this like a live action Dungeons and Dragons game. Because it's just like, oh, we'll roll the natural 20 with the elf stones. And that's why he was able to kill the fury so easily. And so I just, I, I decided just to make a little game out of it for myself. Yeah, there's, uh, at least for me, because as we talked about last week a little bit, I just so get into that level of, of fantasy. And I, you know, I started playing D&D when I was five. Uh, my elder brother would GM games for all of us kids on long car rides. Uh, and uh, so I just, I view a lot of fantasy, especially of a certain um tone in that manner in that through that lens uh so going back to my strong love of hercules and xena <laughs> as a kid and uh and th through many other shows since so so like that's always a thing i go to with um with a lot of fantasy especially if it's um when it breaks down so neatly and nicely for you uh, by class, by level, that kind of thing. So yeah, that, that, that was fun for me this week. And um, I, I was less interested in the rovers. So yeah. that was just like, can we fast forward through this stuff? When I want to fast forward through a James Remar section, the sh show's not using him well. Yeah. He's not using him right. Being underused. Yeah. I'm ready to just get to the part where they're, they're all a team. So, yeah, um, like, even though, like, I'm, like, enjoying it from, like, a, through a lens, I'm still, like, this still really isn't something I'm, like, really responding to without, by itself, basically. Yeah. Which is, I think, a, which is, for me is, like, a problem, but mm -hmm. at the same time, it's just, like, the, the show's fine-ish, I think, overall. It's just, it's in that early stage of a fantasy novel where... All the characters are in different places and trying to come together. And it's just like, oh, this is why I don't like fantasy novels. Is that they take forever to get anywhere. Can we just, like, have everybody go into a tavern and be like, have you heard this to the tale of the mysterious seal? <laughs> you know, right. Or, or want to join a quest? You know, like, mm -hmm. that's what they're doing. It's just taking a little bit, so. Right. And, yeah. I mean, we have to go through the motions of rejecting the call now and then accepting the call mm -hmm. for no discernible reason other than because i think i mean yeah he just kind of came back because he wanted to i think was will's reasoning there i don't know yeah so i i i think it's fine i think i have to like view it through that lens of live action dungeons and dragons to like enjoy it without that lens i'm just kind of like nah, let's let's 
uh, you know, let's get let's get on with this, please, type of thing. <laughs> um, but I mean, I'm still fascinated by the fact that MTV is trying this kind of a show, and is clearly wanting this show to do well. Um, mm. So yeah, I'm I'm more interested in like its industrial presence than I am in anything else about it. I think, mm. but I it's it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> well, you set up the perfect segue um, when you said. Let's get on with this, please. That's pretty much how I feel about The Good Wife. I think it's how we all feel about The Good Wife. Yeah, especially with news coming out of TCA's this week that um, the yes. Kings are leaving at the end of the season. So it's like CBS, just like, just pull the plug. Just do it. <laughs> Apparently we've reached the point where not even the Kings want to be on this set. So let's just make that happen. What did you think of this episode? Um... I wrote in my review um, at TV.com for it that the break didn't really do it any favors um, just because I was just like, I realized very firmly watching this episode that I didn't care about much of anything that was happening, which is the worst possible thing to happen to show, like, A, this late in its run, but also in the middle of a lot of its big stuff that's happening. I mean, I should really care about the fact that Alicia's really super pissed at Eli. And I really, really don't care at all. And I think I also just had really big problems with the fact that Ruth is supposed to be this really political mastermind and just really good at her job. And she can't get people to appear at a campaign stop. She can't get 30 people to show up at a Cox validation event. She doesn't have someone watching Peter when Peter's already complaining about the loose meat sandwiches to make sure he swallows his damn loose meat sandwiches. And it's just like, how are you this great campaign manager that Eli was super threatened by, and you suck at your job? (laughs) A lot. A lot. And it's just like, you can't hand wave away the idea that they're their ground game is stretched across Iowa. No. When you're making a big push like that, you're going to make sure that the towns you're visiting are not empty, aside from the Floric Fanatic, which was like the one thing from this episode that I just went, that's kind of funny that you brought back this random character from season two. I kind of appreciate that. (laughs) But just the episode was just meh, and I can't even begin to tell you how little I cared about what was happening in the law firm. (laughs) How how did you feel about Iowa? We talked about this um, at the end of last year, before the hiatus, that for me it was super powerful when they went to the Will phone call place. And for you, you're like, that's what what you got to do? You're trying yeah. to scrape the barrel to get to the feels by going back yeah. to the, you know, going back to Will? And that's really how I felt about this episode. And And I think you're right, having that three-week break did not help. But yeah. um, because if we were coming straight out of that gut punch and like sure. we, if we were in that headspace with Alicia, like if it had been like a two parter or something, um, that would have been a very I would have had a very different experience at the beginning of this episode, I think. And mm-hmm. um, instead, it was just sort of um, when she starts throwing dishes and all of this, you know, so like it felt weird. like histrionics. It just felt like which actually I really hate that word, so I shouldn't use that word. It felt like um acting angry you know i liked that they brought i guess that they brought jeffrey dean morgan back to say no he won't fix this this is a different but even when it was like when they brought him back i was like but i thought we said goodbye to him already why is he randomly 
Because he's actually only going to be gone for like one episode. Yeah, it's just, it just it, that felt part didn't quite work for me. When we get into Iowa, you're absolutely right. Uh, she does a terrible job, um, and like you had said, she's threat to Eli the way she's introduced, and also she is supposed supposedly like this amazing campaign manager. And they went into Iowa with reason to believe that he could legitimately contend, yes. and right. that is gone. Right, and it's just. I mean, just from a real-world perspective, Martin O'Malley winning 17 counties may have been the most unintentionally funny thing. <laughs> um, but it's just like, if he's not beating Martin O'Malley, and we were told like he was polling really high, and it's just like, oh, he won four counties because reasons. Yeah. But, but I think the, even the, the biggest crime of this episode is that the show's got to be the point where I don't care about Diane and Carrie how do I not care about Diana Carey? I want to, I but I just don't. The the yeah. most interesting thing for me is the well, I like what we get with Luca. I like her stuff with Jeffrey Dean Morgan, that actress, uh, and D- Dean Morgan, of course, because Jeff- Jeffrey Dean Morgan would have chemistry with the chair, as we've said. But yeah. they they're, they have a fun little rapport together. But um, the thing that's most interesting to me is that like the ending note is something at least. Uh, sure. Did you have any thoughts on that? I feel like. I mean, it's a way of acknowledge, uh, Eli taking his victory lap. Mm-hmm. And it's a way of Eli saying that the reason why Peter is great is Alicia. Like, Ruth just didn't use Alicia. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's... Eli, you made it so that she couldn't use Alicia. It's... Rubbing her face in it isn't that great. And um, it also, like... I, It's clearly setting up this idea that Eli's... She's going. Eli and she, Eli and Alicia will reconcile, and the idea that she's going to run for office again, but renewed in some way, yeah, which has been like an ongoing theory with this season about where this was all leading up to, um, is going to come back into play in the back half of the season. Um, but I just I I don't care, and I don't want to see Alicia run for office again, and or even like tease. The idea of Alicia getting up on that podium like she, Peter did and waiting for Peter to join her up there, basically, type of thing, and reheat that idea from the pilot and everything. I was just like, I don't I don't need that. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I, oh, it's really frustrating. Um, even if at the same time, I just would watch the episode and go, I really like how closed off Alicia is. Like, she's not even responding to her kids in a way she's like got glasses on she's got the earbuds in and she's just like she's doing whatever she needs to to get through this day but it's also just like she's still going out there and putting on a happy face when she needs to but it's just i just i don't i don't care and i'm really frustrated do you think there's a way for them to do the this episode or at least parts of this episode if they had just charles at their disposal or do you think that wouldn't have helped anything? Because I think we, I kind of think we already got that as good as we could possibly get that with the call. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, would we have had like, like, um, what, what did they call them? I forget what they called them. Um, like the flash sideways. Yeah. Well, like there was a term for it that they kept using in season five, and I'm forgetting what it is. Anyway, so like her mind flashes basically, and her like mm-hmm. remembering like time with Charles and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, I think 
that might have helped a little bit, even just from an audience perspective. I mean, I like when the show doesn't, like, resist giving us access to Alicia because Alicia's always been, like, really controlled about what she gives us. But she's also always, she's being uncontrolled and unraveled. I mean, she's picking up plates to throw at Eli. That's not a woman that's... That's not Alicia, basically, to me. Is like, this is someone who's not in control. Mm-hmm. And having that kind of access, I think, would have helped. But at the same time, I also remember that, like, they couldn't even get Josh Charles for Mind's Eye. And so we got that weird stand-in guy from the behind with kind of maybe Josh Charles's head. And it's just like, uh, that didn't work as well as you were hoping it was going to work. Uh, yeah, so maybe not, but... I think that the idea of her, we she needed to be as closed off to us as she was to everyone else, is what that episode was going for. Maybe not the best choice. And yeah, maybe it would have been better with Will. Do you think it would have been better with Will? I don't know. Yeah. Because like, like you said, the closed offness works really well. Yeah. But that, for, like, maybe the, the beginning could have been better. Um, there are a few moments I did really like, though, when Jay's like, what are you reading? She just says J- Jane Eyre, and we all just, like, have a little, <gasps> and, yeah. and she's like, why? It's like, because f*** you is why. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was great. There's a, you know, there's some small moments, but mostly I don't care about The Good Wife at this point. If you weren't reviewing it, we probably wouldn't be covering it week to week on the podcast. At least I wouldn't be. Um, that's where I'm at with the show, so. Yeah, and, like, with Carrie and Diane, it's just like, I admire their commitment to wanting to explore this labor relation issue, but it's such a non-existent plot that they haven't really built and put like a lot of time into that mm-hmm. Carrie throwing Howard under the bus doesn't mean anything to me. And I mean, it's just like Howard should be thrown under the bus. Why Howard is still here, I don't understand that they just didn't like maneuver him out at some point way earlier yeah. than well, this. And the, the firm has such a clear diversity problem in their hiring such an obvious diversity problem in their hiring that watching them try to get out of having to take consequences for that is really not a good way to get me to be on these characters sides right and i think it also it's one of those things where the good wife's being kind of slyly meta like when they did the um thing in season two where it's just like well, why is this law firm winning so many of its cases? Well, obviously they're bribing judges. And that kind of meta response of, okay, so this is, they're just actually this good, but we'll address that kind of internal criticism of the show through the storyline. But now they're doing the same thing with, oh, where did Julius Kane and Tay Diggs' characters just run off to, apparently? They just went back into the basement where they keep all the other African-American characters on this show? And it's just one of those things where they're kind of acknowledging it, but then it's just reminding me of the fact that Julius Kane and Tay Diggs aren't around to call this shit out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which yeah. is what Julius Kane, especially played wonderfully by Michael Boatman, would be doing. He's always been very upfront about that sort of thing. And one of the reasons why he stuck around was because he wanted more diversity in hiring. Mm-hmm. Ah, I'm making really exaggerated gestures right now, listeners, that only Kay can see. But <laughs> Very yeah. appropriate, well-earned. Well <laughs> Instead of just having it be constantly reflected in your storyline, why don't you just ha- you know, like, just get more actors of color on your yeah. show? Just do it that way. Yeah. And it wouldn't I mean, be hard. It's why like, I love Matan a ton. 
And I love um, Geneva Pine a ton. They're both great characters. And when Carrie was in the SA's office, they were around a little bit more. And it was really nice to see them. And, I mean, I get it that the woman who's playing Geneva Pine's really busy right now. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, like, Matan popped up on another show recently. And I just went, Matan! And it was just like, oh, I wish you were still, like, popping up on The Good Wife maybe a little more often. Maybe if people went to court more often. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just, yeah. That kind of trail off, yeah, is the correct response. Ellipses, you know, hanging, (laughs) you just pregnant pause is the appropriate yeah. response for good wife at this point so uh, i have a feeling it didn't win your weekend drama and rea- and genre what what did win your weekend genre and drama Noel? um i'm gonna cheat a little bit and i know you're okay with me cheating um i've i've been watching uh independent lens on pbs and they aired a sp- the, their um film this week was called autism and love and it explored how people with autism deal with love and it was just a really nuanced and really emotional and really interesting 90 minutes that I got to watch. And uh, you had two couples of varying degrees being on the spectrum who were trying to figure out how to make their relationship work. Uh, you had a, a fellow who just was just really angry about the fact that he couldn't find someone to love and then a fellow who uh, was pretty high on, most comparably, like you would, want, you would see him and go, oh, it's Rain Man, but a little higher functioning type of instance, uh, who was married and then his wife died. And just watching him not be, watching him process it and talk about it was just really heartbreaking in a number of ways. And so that easily won my weekend actual unscripted drama for want of a better term uh what won your weekend uh drama or genre um psych (laughs) sorry guys i just really was not hot on any of these episodes um so psych or um you know the the the, uh bad jubies is pretty dramatic Yes. Uh, um, <laughs> pull the collar awkwardly. I mean, yeah, that's. I can't. It was even, a thin week. It, it was, was a thin week. week for you know the stuff that that actually aired this week. So yeah. I'm going to abstain courteously uh, and instead move us swiftly onto our show notes. Uh, Noel, where can listeners find you and your work online? Uh, they can find me at Twitter at Noel RK. And you can find my reviews at tv.com. I do Flash, Arrow, and I'll be doing Legends of Tomorrow. Woo-hoo! <laughs> you can find me, uh, reach me at uh, Twitter, at the Televerse. You can email the Televerse at gmail.com. And thank you for writing in, Carl. We will t- uh, address your email next week. We wanted to talk Bowie and, and Rickman at the top this week. We felt that was appropriate. So we'll talk about that next week. Um, you can also find me at the Televerse.org, which is the home of the podcast. And you can find my reviews of uh, Heroes Reborn. <laughs> for another week uh, and also Man Seeking Woman up at the AV Club um, and do reach out we love hearing from you guys what is our question of the week Noel? Uh, why don't uh, our listeners tell us uh, what their favorite Bowie album or like track is or their favorite uh, Rickman performance or Bowie performance as well because yeah. yeah I was going to say he doesn't he isn't he in Fire Walk With Me which has a Twin Peak t- television connection 
So, right. You and know, then, I'm stretching, but I feel okay with that. Yeah, no, it's okay. And Alan Rickman did a TV movie for HBO. There we so, go. Yeah, yeah, let us know. We're good. <laughs> now we're going to take a break, listen to a clip and some music from Psych, and we'll be right back with Dennis Perkins of the AV Club to talk about Psych. A cop, I am not, I'm just good at observation, but with shortcuts and cons and the proper presentation, they believe that I can raise a finger to my head, see the past, read a mind, and can mingle with the dead, and sure my girl's deceived, but that web's already weaved, woven, weaved, woved. The key is that I'm in too deep to turn back now, so I tell these lies under Santa Barbara skies. The truth is a slippery slope to tread when you're over your head. You have to what I have to for the common good. I'm misunderstood and not come clean if I only could. Yeah. But I can't. You mean you won't? It's the same. Not even close. Just don't ask. I didn't ask. It was implied. Define implied. <laughs> you don't know. Yes, I know. And I really don't care. So it's bound to expose funny business we're conducting. Lighten up. We're all good. Would you please stop interrupting? All I know is just me always cleaning up the mess while your hair gets the credit, getting people to confess. That's why I moisturize under Santa Barbara skies. Of the matter is it's all good fun till an eye comes out. I do what I have to for my own safety and legality. Cause technically it's a fella name. It's just a fit, it's a crime. They won't care. Yes, don't mind, and we'll probably do time. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week, the DVD shelf is back at long last. It's been long enough. It was time to bring it back. Uh, and we're here to talk about uh, a delightful, I feel like that is the perfect word for it, um, show, which is the the, uh, the the procedural and buddy buddy comedy uh, psych and uh, from USA. And joining us to help us talk about that from the AV Club is Dennis Perkins. Welcome back, Dennis. Hello. What made you want to revisit Psych? The short answer is uh, I got Netflix finally, and uh, I, I had uh, the, I'd been uh, avoiding it for so long because I worked in a video store, and it was my mortal enemy. Uh, but uh, the video store uh, went out of business this summer, so I finally succumbed and signed up. And as we all know, uh, Netflix uh, is the perfect uh, way to waste uh, your days just uh, watching entire seasons of TV shows that you like. Uh, of course, you can get adventurous and, and you can uh, seek out new and wonderful things. But what we all really do is just, uh, you know, watch uh, stuff that we enjoy or, or haven't seen in a long time. So uh, my lovely wife, Emily L. Stevens, who also writes for the AV Club, and I uh, got to psych um, just because we wanted to and, and ended up watching uh, all uh, eight seasons or so in the last uh, week. <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, when did you first start watching it? Like, I remember when Psych came on the air. Like, I can still, you know, Mitchum 
I have to go to the store to buy some Mitchum. Uh, is I want to say for that's like from the second episode. So I, I have fond memories of like going back to when it first came on the air. Did you start watching it right away or did you catch it later? Me, uh, I watched it uh, not until it, uh, the first season had come out on DVD and it was recommended to me. And then I, I, I dove right in. What about you, Noel? What's your relationship with Psych? Uh, I started watching Psych pretty quickly into its run because I was obsessed with Monk at the time. So the ads for Psych were playing while Monk was on, of course. So that's how I got into it. And I stuck with it for most of its run. I think I dropped out around season five or season six and then just became a really spotty viewer of the show towards the end. So, yeah, no, that was me with Psych is that I was on board pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. It's just such a such a fun show and I, I think I think it's really easy for you know as critics and looking at the larger critical community maybe I'm not giving the larger critical community enough credit but I feel like shows like Psych that are just reliable always entertaining but usually not necessarily groundbreaking uh shows can get over overlooked or underappreciated where it's just it's such a reliable presence in you know part of the tv sphere that after like a season or two maybe people go okay that's what the show does i understand i get it they do a good job but i'm not going to talk about it and and i feel like you know when you look at a show like say it had eight seasons and uh like you know i i watched a lot of it early on but i got away from it sort of you know got busy doing other things and got away from the show and so i hadn't seen the last seasons until this week um, when I watch like a season seven or a season eight episode and it's one of my favorites of an entire show's run on any show that is probably a remarkable thing on a procedural I feel that's even doubly so by by season seven season eight the formula should be tired and should be out of out of energy and out of gas but this is a show that sustains for the most part it's energy it's creativity and it's it's sense of joy and fun all the way through and I and I'm I feel like it just doesn't get enough appreciation, you know, for just, there is enough appreciation out there for just how difficult that really is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I think, I think psych kind of got, I mean, USA kind of gets a, you know, deserved or not, it kind of gets shunted off. Uh, uh, I think, you know, this, this year, uh, you know, it had, um, it had Mr. Robot, which is, which is getting, uh, you know, a lot of critical acclaim. Uh, but before then, yeah, you had your, you had your monks, you had your, I don't even know, you know, the, <laughs> the, the uh, suits and, and white collar. I, I, I'm probably misnaming a couple, but you know, j- people didn't really look at USA shows. They looked at them as, you know, basic cable procedural kind of middling shows. Um, and, uh, and psych certainly got lumped in there, especially because it had in common, with a lot of other shows that sort of gimmicky uh, procedural aspect, you know, he's, you know, which was, it, it's, it was too easily summed up and dismissed. I think, you know, he's, he's a fake psychic who solved crimes. You know, it's like, you can file that away and not bother uh, to dive into it. But, um, but yeah, the, it really, I, I think uh, Kate, what you were talking about, it really sustained uh, what it, it, it found itself very early and it sustained itself um incredibly well uh over the course of eight seasons what's fun to think about for me with psych is the if you look at the premise like you said um you know it's it's a fake psychic who just basically notices stuff and 
can from you know from being incredibly observational is able to uh catch things that other people don't so basically it's like Sherlock Holmes uh but when you look at there's just so many shows that fill that that fit that like subgenre of the procedural out there um a show like Lie to Me um of course something like Sherlock or Elementary you know it's a direct parallel but even something like House where just they happen to see the one right thing and then that kind of brings everything together for them and then we have the big monologue at the end of the episode um but yeah that's become a really tiresome for me approach to the the procedural and yet psych never really fatigues as far as i'm concerned maybe give me 10 years maybe that won't i wouldn't feel the same but um i i think it really sustains and, I, and for me it comes down to separating it itself from something like the mentalist uh is <laughs> is i think that tone is what's so important and it's easy to make fun of like the blue skies usa thing but there are shows that work best um i'm thinking here of i know everybody else loves suits i don't really care for suits as much but but a show like psych a, a show like monk as compared to sorry i know your f- the fans are out there but i don't really like royal pains you know oh, God, some no. of the other yeah some of the other usa shows like they just the that blue sky approach on a show like psych really works because they are able to capture the whimsy and tone that needs to go with it and when i think of a show like the mentalist um, and and on others that aren't quite so directly paralleled, maybe to like, but just like the really you know the quirky detective or not a cop uh, to quote uh, cop not a cop to quote uh, um, TV talk machine um, approach can just get really overdone and tiresome and other on, on the other networks. And I think I don't know. I'm curious what you guys think about that. But for me, I think it all comes down to the tone that they're able to strike. Right, um, Sykes tones just. Well, A, it's lighter, but it never also forgets what it's about, which is solving, for the most part, a lot of murders. Um, And I think that makes a big difference in the show's success, is that it's this fun show about a guy who's pretending to be a psychic, his best friend who's a pharmaceutical sales rep most of the time, maybe... <laughs> and um so but you're also it gets grounded with um three really solid folks who are cops and want to solve crimes and i mean they have to deal with this kooky consultant who gets results but they never want to forget that they're cops and i think that's really the key to the show's success is that it balances its kind of whimsical pop culture tone that Sean and Gus bring to the table with Lassiter and O'Hara and uh, Chief Vic and as well as Sean's dad and they make sure that things stay grounded in a reality that acknowledges that people are dying or that you know there's still paperwork to do or that there's still there's still a crime rate to be concerned about basically and they see Sean as a way to help them with that and I think that that's what helps keep the show going is that it's light and fun but it also just never quite lets itself get too un- too untethered and i think that's that's really really important for the show's success and for as for it to have run as long as it did and for it to never really lose its premise too much i mean no one ever really finds out that he's a fake psychic until towards the very end and i mean that's natural but at the same time these are both these you have really competent police that never really decide or like figure out that he's not a psychic. And I think that's one of those blinder type things that are built into this kind of a situation. But at the same time, it never gets tiresome, which is really, really impressive. 
and a lot of that is just a credit to the writing and a lot of that's a credit to the performers as well who find really great things to do with the material that they're given with and never find never you never worry about it getting stale they also because it's it is important like you say Noel, that we feel the stakes of the situation especially when things get particularly personal which does happen probably like what's the season right things get finales yeah finales <laughs> you know that kind of thing things get a little more real but we also i mean we're not living with the victims we're not living with the families so much i mean they're the interview people but they also they know it's a show you know they know that they know it's a show and they know that we know that it's a show and so then when you have like in something like the finale where they're like eating a sandwich over a dead guy you know they can do that kind of thing because they don't this is a show that doesn't take itself so seriously so you don't get the like the overly dour people are dying you know kind of thing that you can get on some network shows Right, or the longer serialized elements of, like, going back to the mentalist of the hunt for Red John and how just really drawn out and ridiculous that eventually became. Mm-hmm. One of the things is just how uh, how unlikely a balancing act there is on this show. And I think a lot of it has to do with, with the creator, you know, Steve Franks. He, he uh, you know, he also... Uh, uh, you know, his band plays the, the very upbeat, uh, infectious theme song. You just have a sense of a a guy with a real sense of what he wants the show to be, who collected a cast who um, are completely on board. And they're able to do this sort of uh, uh, very delicate balancing act where, you know, as, as you said, uh, you know, that they're uh, they can throw in a little drama at you. They can keep the uh you know the the facts of uh murder alive without it becoming too heavy but also they can uh you know make you care about uh uh you know just sort of the the humor and the the sort of the way that Sean and Gus their sort of perpetual uh adolescence kind of infects their whole worlds with pop culture references and with their own in jokes and the the quick patter and it never becomes distasteful. Um, it's, it's uh, for, again, for eight seasons of that without ever really running out of gas, it's pretty remarkable. I, I remember, you know, the, one of the first people I met talking uh, when I started writing at the AV club or even before then was Zach Handlin, who, who got the gig of reviewing house when he first started um, uh, reviewing there. And he talked about how, you know, it, at the, at the beginning, it was very exciting. It was cool. You know, he had the Sherlock Holmes thing and the procedural, and it was always variations on a theme. But by the end, he said he could write a review, you know, in like 45 minutes because, yeah. you know, there were no variations and it was just, you, you'd go along and you'd tick off boxes. Whereas this one has an inner kind of a very eccentric, very charming inner kind of engine to it that, that never stops kind of purring along. Let's talk a little bit about this cast, because in rewatching some of the episodes, what really struck me is that maybe it takes a while to to get every character to where we know they're going to get. You know, we, like at the beginning, there's much more of a, uh, you know, Lasseter's more of a adversary as opposed to just like a, but guys, seriously, we we all know this, right? Why are we? So, he becomes more of like a um, disgruntled but willing participant as we go a little further on. But um, even even with just like a little bit of tweaking to come with the characters, 
uh, as we get through like the first and second seasons, in the even in the pilot, definitely by the second episode, everybody knows who the, their characters are. The rapport back and forth is strong. I mean, right from the start. Can we talk about how Tule Hill went from uh, being one of the most beloved characters, uh, Charlie on the West Wing, to Gus? Such a different skill set and so fantastic at both. Absolutely, um, Gus is like. I think probably my favorite like main character in the show um, in no small part because Dulé Hill is just really, really funny. Um, he like, I mean, he's got, he has a semi thankless role in that he's one of the many straight, straight men for want of a better term on the show, but he also just gets to be really, really funny in that role uh, a lot of the time. And he's just, any any episode that in which Gus gets to go into player mode where he sees an attractive woman and he's just like, yeah. And it's just like... Hey, did you hear about Pluto? Yeah. It's messed up. It's messed up. And it's just really, really funny. And Dulé Hill just goes for it. But he never feels like he's overplaying it. And it keeps Gus from being too much like Sean, but it also prevents him from being too much like Lassiter and O'Hara. And he strikes that really perfect balance. And a lot of that is just Dulé Hill being really keyed in to the writing and to what he needs to do as an actor to make sure that the show works really well. So yeah, no, absolutely. Dulé Hill's just incredible on this show. Yeah. He's, um, and again, everybody loved him as Charlie and, uh, you know, and it was, I mean, the West Wing was tailing off uh, when he decided to leave, but it was still, you know, shocking going to going to a, a, a seemingly a less prestigious show on a less prestigious network. But but yeah, Gus is an all time great TV character, just building up layers upon layers of sort of eccentricities that are based. They're just rooted uh, in, in, in a solidly conceived character. He's a he's a responsible one, but he's he's a nerd and he's uncomfortable around women, but he's uh, incredibly kind of charming and sweet and, and uh, courageous in his own way, even though he'll often, you know, run away screaming or, uh, you know, he's just, he builds this whole thing. Dulé Hill is one of those actors that I just can't believe isn't the biggest star in the world when I right. watch him sometimes. And one of the things is that he brings a very he just has such a, a specific physicality too mm-hmm. because partly partly because he's a dancer and, and an accomplished dancer a broadway dancer uh you know he was in bringing the noise bringing the funk he was you know uh and you can see i mean there are some episodes where they they ask him to dance and he just clearly has a, a you know obviously a showcase there but just in his physical movements still there's a lot of physical comedy on the show and it just, you know, he's just, he's riveting just in little moments. Another, when, when he goes into player mode, just the, his, his, the way he says hello to women, where he just immediately downshifts into what he thinks is the coolest possible way to say hello. is <laughs> just, it's just funny every time. Yeah. And of course, I mean, I went to Gus first, but I mean, James Roday is really very strong as, as Sean. It, by making that character not insufferable. I think is probably really tricky. You have to get an incredibly charming and naturally charming in this kind of speed actor to play that because you can have 
finding somebody who is charismatic and who can carry uh, the emotional heft is important, but he's just going to be pattering. That's the character that they wrote. And I'm sure that they just ended up gearing it more and more to that strength of James Roday. But even just from the pilot, I should really not like Sean because <laughs> yeah. he basically just shows up and screws up Gus's life and is uh, keeping him from maturing maybe. But but those two have such a strong rapport. You believe that they are lifelong friends right away. Um, and and there's always, you can tell everything is coming, maybe a slightly selfish, but from a good place, <laughs> from a, a supportive and and positive place with Sean. And I think that's crucial. Yeah. Rode, I, I, you know, as I said before, you know, the um, there's a lot of, of uh, you know, scrubs, uh, Sort of Turk and JD in in Gus and Sean for me, uh, definitely. And, yeah. Uh, except that, yeah, you don't you don't get to the point where you kind of want to smack uh, Sean, uh, whereas you kind of do want to smack JD every once in a while. Sean's, uh, yeah, he's kind of he's kind of a, a dick. I mean, he's really you know <laughs> he mooches off Gus. At one point, Gus uh, makes a point of he's, they're talking about how much money Gus makes at his actual job that he, we never see him doing, and he says that you know he. He makes this much because, you know, a third of his income basically goes to supporting Sean's nonsense that I think he he says that he declares Sean on his taxes. As a defendant. <laughs> you know, that feels right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but uh, yeah, Rode, you know, that that's the central character of the show. As much as we love Gus, I mean, it's it's all about, uh, you know, Sean and what's kind of making him tick without ever really. I mean, it's not that he doesn't have deep, dark secrets, but but Rodet is able to convey the idea that just the hints along the way here and there that he's that Sean is behaves the way he does for reasons that he doesn't really want to deal with. And it really kind of grounds him in a, in a kind of more understandable way. And when it does come out, you know, more overtly, when when people that he loves are actually in danger, when he's in danger, when when a crime uh, touches him in some way, uh, it can be incredibly affecting. The, the supporting cast, I don't want to just run through every actor, but the supporting cast I think is also really strong um, from, I mean, just you know, Maggie Lawson is fantastic in what could so easily be a one-note kind of oblivious role. Like We should think that, that Juliet is an idiot for believing <laughs> Sean, but Maggie Lawson makes you get you on board with Juliet so completely that you would never be that mean and judgmental of, of Juliet. And she's such a great person. She's so wonderful um, without feeling saintly or put upon either. Um, she gives as good as she gets, which is important. Uh, but, but I mean, somebody like Timothy Owenson, who uh, is mostly comedic in Deadwood, which is what I had seen him in before psych, um, but he also can be incredibly dramatic. This may be surprising to some, but I think he's fantastic on Supernatural when he showed up for one or two episodes as Cain, as in, like, of the Bible, Cain. Incredibly dramatic over there, and the man's got gravitas. I'd love to see him do some Shakespeare. Um, but that having that that well within him that, that Omenson can go to if he needs it really gives him so much more range and depth for the comedy that he is. Cause Lassiter is almost always just ridiculous over the top comedy. Uh, he's either doing the straight guy thing or he's being like borderline rage dude, <laughs> <laughs> little, little too gun happy guy. Uh, and, and so having 
you know, and I think this is true of the entire cast. They can go to that dramatic place if they need it. They have that skill set. Uh, and so that, that lets them ha- maybe have a little more freedom in the comedy range of their spectrum as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the keys to the show, I mean, you say he's over the top, and I, I think he can go over the top, but I always feel like he's playing more of, like, the TV cop character to, like, an extreme, but not too much of an extreme. But Like the Joe Friday? Yeah, he's Joe Friday, but, like, to, like, the nth level almost. And I think that's just one of the reasons why the show works as well as it does, is that you have this kooky guy at the center, but then you have this other extreme of super responsible super driven cop guy to balance out the shiftless psychic fake psychic guy and it just keeps everything in balance really really nicely and Amundsen just really keeps that from spiraling to feeling like Lassiter's a complete and total jerk or just is clueless or any of these other things. He instead, like, he and the writers make sure that Lassiter's comes off as competent and just a a cop who means really, really well and wants to do the best possible thing he can for Santa Barbara. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's like Santa Barbara's only detective and he takes that very, very seriously because there are apparently no other detectives in Santa Barbara. Yeah, they, they, um, there's, there's a running joke where they keep talking about um, this other detective who's always kind of getting the glory and you never... Uh, Mel Kilmer? Yeah, until the very last episode and it turns out oh, it's Mel Kilmer. Right, 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 right. I forgot um, about that. But yeah, the, 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 you know, uh, the idea that there are... I mean, if Sean, if the whole premise of the show is that Sean is going to make fools out of everybody, then everybody else should be foolish. And that would get really tiresome. And yeah. so, again, that you come back to the idea of the balancing act of uh, what Noel was talking about, where there are Sean is Sean and Gus have created this world or carried the world of their adolescent kind of uh, dreams and, and pop culture obsessions and their friendship and their goofiness. They've carried it into the midst of an actual working police department and they keep playing, but the real world is always going on around them. And so again, the, just the idea that Lawson and Amundsen and, and, uh, uh, and uh, chief Vic there, and they can all kind of keep their characters viable dramatically and not just have them be the, Either, you know, the the scowling kind of grumps who don't believe in Sean or the dupes who, you know, kind of wide-eyedly uh, do believe in Sean uh, is is pretty remarkable. It, again, it's, it's a show that seems effortless, but there's a lot of effort into making it look that way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Kirsten Olsen is also really, really good as Chief Vic and, and nicely understated. Yeah, um, because Omenson and Maggie Lawson at various points get to be like the thing that their character is really intense about, so they get to go big with it. But Chief Vic almost never. Yeah. So she does a really good job of of being the most straight men of straight men <laughs> amongst mm-hmm. the cast. And whoever thought you know who you should get is Cor- Corbin Burnson to be <laughs> to be Henry. Uh, they you know an extra pineapple for you because <laughs> that just works. That dynamic, the energy of those two actors just works so well playing off of each other. And one of the things I think, you know, we're talking about the balancing act of Psych and how it sustains its energy through those eight seasons. One of the things that I think was 
perhaps the smartest move the show did besides commit to Juliet and Sean and after a while just stop t- stretching out that as like an end of end of show thing where they finally get together at the end. Thank you for not doing that show. Um, but one of the smartest things I think they did was embrace the fan culture around the show, but also the fandom of the characters and, uh, through their homage episodes. I, I think it gave it an extra, like a second life to the show where they, instead of just only having the same formula each week, they could make each episode sort of its own little mini movie and, uh, and, and get other creativity and uh, visual, even just, you know, with the direction of some of those episodes and visual interest and, and editing and pacing and energy from, from these other series and, and films that they wanted to, to pay homage to. These are, characters who are fans Gus and and uh and Sean are super fans and so to have the show kind of embrace that tone as well I think was really smart and I mean usually a a show does a gimmick episode and maybe it's really fun but you don't necessarily want them to do it again uh on psych they get huge mileage like I feel like the last three four seasons are just all gimmick episodes and I love them all yeah (laughs) there isn't a bummer in the bunch and I, I think that that is it kind of goes back to, you know, the idea that <laughs> Sean and Gus, as as infectious, the show's infectious because they infect it with their enthusiasm, like in their fandom. And so, yeah, if they do a Twin Peaks episode, if they do one based on the movie Clue, if they do a musical or a, or a Bollywood episode, you know, or, uh, you know, you just have a sense that the people on the staff... uh and the characters in the show just really love them. And so that it becomes an exuberant kind of incredibly light touch, uh, even down to, you know, when, when <laughs> it's, it's always a surprise and it shouldn't have been a surprise, but when they do a theme episode and, and the theme song transforms yeah. into like, there's a Bollywood version of the theme song or they get boys to men to do the <laughs> theme song when, when Gus's acapella group shows up, it's like, it's like everything about it, it's it's like they love it and they want to share it. And so here's like an extra present. Here's some frosting on top, you know. So it's, yeah, it just makes it all seem, uh, yeah, just really uh, infectious. And there's an authenticity to it as well because they, they make the obvious parallels, but then they also they go over the deep cuts, uh, which I appreciate. It doesn't feel like, oh, we need to do a fill-in-the-blank episode what, or what 80s thing haven't we done yet? Let's do that they if they're going to do a lock stock episode they get vinnie jones or they don't do it <laughs> you know that kind of a thing and and when they reference something they're not going to reference you know the movie you've seen but they'll reference the the supporting characters three episodes in to I've, i don't know the police academy movies or something and and i appreciate that as well it, and those are also densely packed they take advantage of the, of the fast dialogue to put a lot in there but also just visually and you know the the staging of it something like the the um friday the 13th episodes uh, i recall there being certain like shots that are you know frame you know angled uh like the frame for frame or shot for shot like sequences um and that kind of attention to detail and if we're going to do it we're going to do it right i really appreciate that yeah absolutely do we have any favorite episodes or or moments that, that we want to mention before we run out of time here? Dennis? Dennis you're, yeah. <laughs> um, moments and episodes. Oh, my gosh. Um, well, the, <laughs> uh, you know, the running gags uh, of, of Sean, it started out, you know, the idea where um, 
Sean would kind of try to embarrass Gus by introducing him by the wrong name or a, a goofy name. And it started out just to be like, oh, uh, you know, but and it became like its own thing, but it wasn't it wasn't kind of self-impressed, I guess. And, uh, you know, uh, like MC Clap Your Hands was always one of my favorites or, <laughs> you know, um, and just the idea of uh, <laughs> it started out with uh, Sean making fun of Gus, you know, in the first episode, I think he just, you know, it says, Gus, don't be ridiculous. But by, you know, by <laughs> by a season, Gus, don't be american remake of the british gus you know just this weird shorthand of of uh of uh of uh, i don't know just the lexicon of the show uh was always great uh favorite episodes of my dark horse pick i i really i just recently watched the bigfoot episode which starts out as kind of a blair witch kind of thing and and turns into uh it actually, you know, they, they put the effort in so it actually kind of functions as a horror movie for a little bit where things keep inexplicably happening and just gets goofier and funnier. Uh, that one's just pure delight for me. Plus, uh, uh, Juliet gets to be, uh, you know, just a real badass taking out a bunch of Estonian uh, terrorists. Ah, right. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, you know, what, what stands out? It has like a running gag to bounce off um, Dennis. Um, I've heard it both ways. It's probably one of my favorites. If no small part because of uh, my friend Nick and I are routinely saying it to one another um, when we're in disagreements about things. We'll just like dismiss the argument as, oh, I've heard it both ways, whatever. And we'll move on to something else. <laughs> and it's just, it's a nice way to connect to the show. Um, favorite episode, um, uh, the aforementioned Tuesday the 17th, which is their riff on all the 90s, uh, 90s, all the 80s horror movies, um, is really, really, really great for me, even though I don't really like those movies very much. Um, I think the homage is just really great. In no small part, because, I mean, it starts off as an homage and then it swerves a little bit to be like, Oh no, it was all supposed to be an homage. And then it continues to be an homage, but a more in a more serious vein. So I really enjoy that. And just the aesthetics of the episode, like you mentioned, Kate, where it does a lot of like uh, first perspective shots to put us into the killer's point of view, but also just the fact that the, the stuff at the camp happens with a very desaturated look to it like it was shot in an old film or like it was shot in you're you're watching it on a videotape that's been watched so many times that the stuff's just starting to fade away a little bit um it's just a really rewarding kind of an experience with that sort of thing and yeah 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 well how about you Kate? what did you what what are your favorite bits from psych well um i i do love the uh the pluto thing for gus <laughs> which i mean any any woman of character and fine taste would have, that line would have worked on them as far as I'm concerned, um, but um, I mean you can't really talk about psych and not say suck it. Uh, <laughs> that feels wrong to leave that out. And also, I mean, a character like Pierre Despereau should work once, and they make him work four times, and that's because Carrie Elvis is delightful. Uh, by the time he shows up the last time and is uh, an Interpol agent, maybe, kind of, sort of, who knows. <laughs> um, I was I did not know that he came back that last time until this week, and I was watching that episode, and, uh, and that happened. I was like, wait, are they seriously going to, okay, I'm on board because I just like that character so much, and you've made me invest show, so congratulations. Um, as for other moments, uh, to, go, to get a little dramatic, I love the scene, I mean, really just the whole episode of, of Lassie's Wedding, 
And I think the whole bachelor party thing works really well and the bachelorette party as well. Like the, the, those two parts of the episode are really fun and they have some really great character beats for, for Lasseter as, as well as a couple other people. But then the scene of Sean and Juliet, you know, like Juliet figuring it out and talking to Sean and the way that was handled, the performances by both the actors is really it's really good. It works really, really well and is respectful to both characters in a way that it would be easy for it to have like been a, a angry accusation from Juliet, but it's not. It's a confused and a wanting to be wrong moment from her. And, you know, the way that Sean reacts is also really great. And then they spend the entire next episode dealing with the fallout, at least for him, following his perspective in their like sliding doors episode. Um, so, so the way that they handle some of these more significant dramatic moments is also tends to work really well. And that, I think that's a prime example of that. So I really liked, and that's a season seven episode in season seven. They have one of my favorite episodes. I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> Do we have any final thoughts about psych? Yeah. I just, you know, I, I could talk about the show far more than I thought I could. Um, so yeah, it's, um, <laughs> again, it's such a light show, but it is, uh, there's a it's just um it's pure enjoyment for me i i rediscovered it and i'm really glad that i did uh just to to go back to one one more thing which uh my one of my favorite things in the in the history of the show is just the simple way that gus says the word sean when he's when he's annoyed with sean it cannot be replicated and it can't be (laughs) the (laughs) everything that's read into it everything that everything you can read into that it's one of the funniest uh lines uh, in recent tv history and it doesn't it's just a word and uh nobody else can do it except Dulé hill and it just makes me happy every single time i hear it no i think we've really done psych a lot of justice i mean it's an effortless but hard-working show that is remarkably well balanced and uh probably a little underrated given the fact that i think even though we were kind of a little dismissive about the blue skies type stuff is that it got overshadowed by things like Suits and Burn Notice and um, maybe not Royal Pains, but also like White Collar. I mean, Psych just became kind of a in-the-background workhorse for USA while it promoted its much flashier shows. And even USA, I think, underrated, ended up underrating this show a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's just a super entertaining and reliable show, and I feel like those are two traits that it's easy to underappreciate but not here at the televerse it's you you want to spend time with these characters you like these people and it's it's really clear it's not always necessary for good tv but usually uh, at least from the tv i've seen um for the the procedurals for the um the lighter more comedic shows like this one if they liked it making it you know if they if if you could tell these are people who like each other and are glad that they get to spend time together and are glad that they have this job and they want to make the most of it and really appreciate it um and that it feels like that when you're watching it that energy comes through in the performances and also if you've seen any of the behind the scenes stuff or you know the comic-con panels or different opportunities to watch the cast interact it's clear that they that they have a lot of affection for each other and for the job that they got paid to do for eight years and um and i think that comes through and it just makes it you know they're having fun doing hard work um but they're having fun and you want to just have fun with them too and uh it was really fun revisiting 
the show this week and just kind of going on. It's been a tough week for some of us here in the entertainment, uh, you know, sphere. So it was really nice yeah. to, to get a little um, escapist television with Psych. So thank you for coming on to talk with us about it, Dennis. Oh, thank you. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, AV Club. Uh, I'm there all the time, uh, reviewing a lot of TV. Um, and uh, Twitter at uh, uh, Dennis Perkins 5. Well, thank you one more time, Dennis, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Mm-hmm.